Hello, and welcome to PS Love, the show featuring interviews of SMU President Scholars alumni. I'm your host, Christian Jenko. Joining me today is Trig Watson-Burridge. Trig is part of the 2012 batch of President Scholars. He graduated with dual degrees in business management and theater studies, which was a perfect combination to prepare him for his, his career as a magician. He grew up in Townsville, Australia, moved with his family to New Orleans, then to Dallas for SMU, and just a few months ago drove a gigantic truck of all of his worldly possessions and magic props to Los Angeles. Trigg has received several awards for his performances, most notably placing as the highest scoring American magician at the World Magic Contest in Las Vegas and two-time winner of the Texas Magicians Contest. He was also named the 2013 Dallas Performing Artist of the Year and 2015 Dallas Magician of the Year. He has appeared on Pop TV's hit reality show Don't Blink, Penn and Teller's Fool Us, and Masters of Illusion on the CW, and he also consulted for the hit Netflix show Magic for Humans. Trigg keeps busy performing for corporate events, universities, and cruise ships around the world. Attend one of his shows, like his monthly Wine and Magic Show in Dallas, which is delightful and he'll have you question what's possible and laughing along the way he's also one of my best friends trig hello hello how are you i'm i'm doing super well i have a ton of questions for you uh let's get started who were you at smu i want to know like what did you study uh what did you want to be when you grew up uh and what what would you have bragged about back then if i was talking to like uh sophomore or junior uh president scholar trig watson uh what, <laughs> what would he have said those are several questions. I was studying, as you said, business and theater in school. I did a double major. When I interviewed, on the day that I interviewed for the President's Scholarship, I remember also walking into a SMU academic advisor's office and saying, okay, what if I was a business major and a theater major? Could we make that happen <laughs> and graduate in time before I had to start paying money to the school for additional semesters. And we sat down and we looked at the class schedules and the, you know, the, the credits required and figured out that if I take between 18 to 22 hours a semester and uh, take some summer classes and maybe even do a J term, I might be able to squeeze in a business and theater double major. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. And, what, a, what a typical PS. <laughs> doing, trying to do everything. I love it. And then we proceeded to make that happen. Now there's plenty of president scholars. I mean, as you know, anyone listening to this probably knows as fellow president scholars, there are plenty of people that are, you know, triple and quadruple majors uh, within, especially within the humanities majors, you know, like in economics and poli sci and anthropology, you know, triple major or something like that. But theater mm -hmm. is sort of a unique beast because of the fact that it requires so much rehearsal, so much time in the hmm. studio and um, time in what they call practicum, which is actually working on theater productions in uh, the lighting department and the costuming department and the design department, not to mention all the acting classes and movement and voice. And, you know, it's a little bit more of a conservatory type program. So hmm. that was why it was a little bit more unconventional for me to be pursuing a, you know, a major in addition to theater. That's intense. What did that look like for you doing? Uh, were, were you trying to specialize specifically in uh, in things that would enable your magic career? Or were you just pursuing the, the degree generically? What were, what were, what did those practicums look like for you? Yeah, well, I, I knew that I didn't, I, I knew that I loved performing, you know, even in high school. And even before then, I was always had a passion for magic and, um, you know, being a performer of some sort, but I also enjoyed the, the more visual creative aspect of, you know, uh, 
art and painting and um, you know that that sort of aspect to magic as well. So I, I didn't really know what I should study in college. I just knew that I you know I enjoyed the business side of things as well. I thought, well, maybe I'll be a business major and then add on some sort of creative major as well. And decided that mm. theater was the best option. Um, I wasn't sure that I wanted to do magic full time, but I knew that I wanted to probably pair my business major with something creative in nature, um, and that's how I landed on on that combo. Um, when I was in school, I'm not sure you asked me what I would have bragged about. I probably would have bragged mm. about how many clubs and organizations I was a member or <laughs> a leader had a leadership position in. I, I think I drew a lot of pride back in college and I'm sure I'm not alone with, you know, uh, other PS alums as well that I drew a lot of pride in being this person that does a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, I spent most of my time, not necessarily committing fully to each individual class to the best of my ability i was just running around doing the best i could to get the you know get the a grade and but also making sure that i wasn't throwing myself so far into one major or one class that i couldn't also be uh, vice president of the talent uh the talent entertainment agency club on campus (laughs) or students for a better society or taking the ballroom dance class or you know, going to uh, fraternity meetings because of I wanted to be the the only theater major that was also in a fraternity and was also in the business school. I was I was very uh, attached to being someone that people couldn't put in a box, which is kind of mm-hmm. kind of why I ran around jumping into a lot of different academic and extracurricular boxers boxes just to prove that I could be the everything person. Um, that takes a toll after a while, uh, and. Uh, I mean, I, I was basically just repeating what I found myself doing in high school, which again, I think, you know, may not be alone among the other PS alums. Um, so I kind of just did the same format in college. It took me, it took me a few years after graduating that I kind of changed my approach and started committing to very, very, uh, I, I started committing much more narrowly to one area of, of study or focus, uh, yeah, took a while. Got it. I remember your calendar. Uh, speaking of like trying to do everything, it sounds like you were you were very much a maximizer in college, trying to be a part of every club, trying to to do everything. I remember uh, looking at your calendar and seeing that you had you had scheduled like every minute of your day of exactly what you'd be doing, and, and <laughs> uh, which I, I guess you would have to have that system of uh, being able to just so efficiently tune your time and tune your day. Uh, to be able to cram all this in. And on top of that, uh, you were in a, a fraternity. Is that right, Sigep? Yes, that's right. Amazing. You, you did everything. It's it's so cool. Uh, what was the plan in college? If if I had asked uh, little baby Trig, uh, what are you going to do after you graduate? Why are you why are you getting this business degree uh, with the, the theater major? What would you have said? Yeah. In fact, I have a feeling you probably asked me that back in college at some point. Like, what are you doing? What probably. Is, we didn't record it, though, so we can't, we can't include it in the <laughs> podcast. Good. All right. Fair enough. Um, it's a great question. I knew in the back of my mind that I could absolutely see myself performing as a magician full time. Um, I could also see myself performing professionally, but having another career outside of magic, which is where... I kind of 
landed, you know, during college, I sort of left both doors open. Um, part of me really wanted to just drop out of school and be a magician, but then the other part of me wanted to see what it was like to, you know, try something completely different and maybe go into business or consulting. And, you know, the, the problem with the world, if I might be so critical, is that we seem to have to pick one or two things. It's really, we, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to do everything. And mm. I, at the very least, wanted experience trying different lifestyles out and sort of decided that as long as possible, I was going to leave all options open. So all through college, I pursued classes and made sure I got grades to give me room to maybe you know be a um be a apply to be a Rhodes scholar or get a mm -hmm. uh, get some um uh some some grant after college to you know research or or you know considered teach for america or you know business consulting which i ended up going into after college i was really interested in the consultant sort of life uh, getting to travel and work on interesting creative business problems. Um, you know, all of these things were in my head as possibilities. And being a business and theater double major kind of gave me that, um, kind of left some options open for me. Mm. I love that. You're, you're following the same strategy in life as you did at SMU and in high school. You're, you're the maximizer. You're trying to do everything you possibly can to try out all these different lives. Uh, I love that articulation of that. Uh, it's, it's frustrating that, uh, we don't have time to do everything. We, we have to pick like one or two things to do. Uh, and it seems like consistently you're, you're able to solve that problem. You're able to do, uh, to do everything to, to have your cake. Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm not sure that's true. I'm actually quite proud of myself that I have narrowed down my focus. Um, hmm. I uh, still tend to have my fingers in, on, in a lot of different pies, uh, you know, just within my chosen career now. But I've still settled on, at the moment, being a magician and a performer and uh, a designer of magic. And there's a lot of different ways one can use those skills, believe it or not. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily think about, you know, how many different ways there are to be a magician. Um, but uh, yeah, I still, you know, I still enjoy variety, but I, I, I am proud of myself that I've at least, I'm not trying to manage three careers at the same time, um, mm. or even two careers, which is what I was doing for a couple of years after college. You know, I was working crazy hours in business consulting, working for Deloitte, a big accounting consulting firm. And then by night, uh, and by the weekends, you know, traveling to perform shows professionally and very much considering both of those pursuits as you know, professional careers. Let's talk a little bit about your former life as a Deloitte consultant. Uh, tell me more about that. How did you get into, uh, how, how did you decide on consulting as one of these potential careers of the, the infinite things uh, you could be doing? And then why did you pick Deloitte? And uh, what, what was that job like? How was consulting at Deloitte? Yeah, well, I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't uh, owe some gratitude and shout out to a sibling of a fellow president scholar that we both know, Esther Liu, her brother Daniel, yeah. um, was a really wonderful mentor for me in college and professionally as well. Daniel, uh, for those of you who don't know him, was just someone who 
made a point to mentor and guide uh, underclassmen as they were, you know, growing in their college career. And Daniel ended up pursuing a career, career as a consultant in at Deloitte. Uh, he worked in sort of a different area, but um, was still sort of I would credit as being the one who sort of put the idea of being a business consultant on the map for me. Um, I was drawn to the idea of not having to really pick a specific area of work. You know, the <laughs> there are layers to this, you know, wanting to be the everything person. I mean, within, you know, if I deciding to work in business, consulting gave me in some ways the opportunity not to choose one company to work for because mm. Deloitte services all these different clients, all these different uh, companies, um, everything from healthcare to transportation to supply chain management, oil companies, you know, marketing, software implementation, all these different um, avenues uh, that, you know, big businesses need help with and consultants are there to help. So, you know, the appeal for consulting for me was, oh, look, I get to have a job where I travel from week to week, Monday through Thursday, and spend a couple months working on one project in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And then when that ends, I was in Santa Monica, California for a few weeks. And then I was working in Plano, Texas. And then I was working in uh, Springfield, Missouri, you know, working in both in healthcare and tech startups and worked in San Francisco for a while, building out a cloud, um, sort of a go-to-market cloud, a software integrated platform, um, which I realize there's a lot of buzzwords there. But yeah, I got to have an experience, <laughs> you know, performing in, or, you know, operating and on a team doing all kinds of things. And that was really exciting for me. That's, uh, that's why I sort of decided that if I wasn't going to pursue magic full time, that business consulting would be, uh, you know, probably my second choice of career. Um, I love the theme in your life of being the everything man and like <laughs> keeping as many options open as, as long as possible. Uh, yeah. I can't say and I'm proud of it because I also, yeah, I can't say I'm proud of it because I, it, I, I usually feel like it hinders me more than helps me. Um, you know, I, I think that's it, interesting. It's, it's the fear of, you know, fear of missing out. I think I have, uh, I have that tendency and, uh, by trying to, you know, keep my, keep involved in a lot of different areas. I somehow feel that I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not missing out on any opportunity, but the, the cost of that is that you don't get an opportunity to really, uh, invest and explore the, every nook and cranny of one specific niche focus. And that's something that I'm, I'm growing to appreciate more and more. So I like to think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm letting go of the need to prove to the world that I can be everything um, mm -hmm. and focusing more on, you know, just what makes me come alive because that's really how I'm going to be able to do the most good. I'm curious about that framing your framing your multi potentialite uh, and trying to be the everything man as uh, being unfocused and and uh, being too dependent on like trying to prove prove to the world that you can do everything. Uh, this may be a good transition into talking about uh, how you transitioned into magic. Uh, was that a was that a conscious decision to try to uh, narrow your focus and and explore that one domain? How did how did you contextualize that? Well, so I think for my Deloitte colleagues. Um, from their standpoint, they saw me as, you know, a you know, helpful contributing member on a team that happened to have a hobby and interest in doing card tricks, you know, at parties, you know, mm -hmm. after hours. 
I don't think they realized the extent to which magic was a creative passion of mine and a very much of a professional focus. So from my Deloitte colleagues' perception, all of a sudden I turned around and told them I was quitting my job to do magic full-time. And it sounded sort of like this surprising, crazy, out-of-the-blue decision. Um, mm-hmm. Like this crazy consultant, you know, he's working for a couple of years at Deloitte and then he just turns around to quit and dedicate his life to doing magic tricks? Like, who is this guy? Um, (laughs) When the truth is that I'd been performing magic professionally and considered magic a career uh, since I was quite young. I mean, even as when I was like, you know, before I was even able to read, I was, I was learning magic and, you know, busking, you know, at like eight, nine years old, I was putting out a hat and, uh, you know, performing magic and making balloon animals and juggling for passersby and then using that money to buy more magic props and then announcing that I was available for young children's birthday parties. So at like 10 years old, I'd be performing at a five-year-old's birthday party with this full magic show. And my mother stuck driving me around from birthday party to birthday party on the weekends. Um, And then, you know, in high school, I worked at restaurants where I was performing close-up magic for people as they were waiting on their meals to be served, um, working for tips. And then, you know, in college, I was performing both at restaurants, but also getting booked at corporate events. And even some college campuses were hiring me to do my show. So, like, it it was a serious, very much like a a real uh, money-making and creative pursuit for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And my Deloitte um, my time at Deloitte uh, as a business consultant, while I enjoyed it, was, you know, I, something that I started doing a little later in life and just sort of thought, well, let me try this out, see what I think. You know, the magic was much or, much more um, something that I'd committed to early on. Um, so, yeah, what, by the time I, I quit to quit my job at Deloitte, it was very much calculated. You know, I started seeing opportunities within the firm to use my skills as a magician, as an entertainer, as someone who knows how to present information in a creative, engaging way um, to improve the way the company was actually sharing information with its employees. You know, I would I would hmm. volunteer as a as a Deloitte consultant to help onboard the new hires at the firm and started with the blessing of the um uh, leadership at Deloitte, the learning team, uh, got permission for me to start performing fun magic presentations that incorporated key learning elements and key messaging for their that they wanted their new hires to know about the firm and the firm culture um, using magic. So I created these customized magic presentations that were really interactive and got people up on stage and, oh, and also amazing. shared the important information that they needed to learn. So um, once I started seeing that opportunity, I thought, okay, there's an opportunity here. I mean, I, I, I'd always considered, you know, I, I considered my Deloitte career as doing my backup first. I thought, you know, if, if, if I don't try out a more quote unquote normal day job right after graduation, I'm going to always have in the back of my mind, this nagging question of what would have happened if I had chosen a different path? You know, I, mm-hmm. I could kind of see myself maybe a year and a half after graduating, performing, as a magician, sort of feeling like a bit of a starving artist and wondering, you know what, this isn't going as fast as I want. I think I better just go back to school and get my MBA. And that would be the end of my performing creative career. So I figured, you know, it'd be a whole lot easier for me to take advantage of my college resume that I built up 
you know, my good grades and leadership involvement in other organizations mm -hmm. and, and maybe secure this consulting job. And if I don't like it and I quit, then I know for sure that I really want to be a magician. And then I have no other option but to, you know, focus on, on my creative pursuits. And I won't be looking behind me as much and wondering what if. Um, so yeah, uh, once I'd gotten into Deloitte uh, about a year or so in, I thought, okay, now there's a real opportunity to start using my magic skills within the firm. And I started building up a, a portfolio of ways that, you know, I purely, um, outside of my core, you know, work as an employee, I started using my magic skills, my performing skills for employees and built up that, that portfolio in hopes that when I left Deloitte, the firm would maybe hire me back to perform events and programs for them. Mm. And, and that ended up being true. They, uh, I, I, I am grateful that the, the firm really supported me in my first year after, after leaving Deloitte, my first year, most of my income came from being an independent contractor for the company that I had just left. Um, and they hired me for all kinds of parties and corporate events and learning programs um, and really, you know, uh, floated me and allowed me to transition quite elegantly, you know, from uh, uh, from being in the corporate world to being a being a, a self-employed entrepreneur. Fantastic. I love the framing of the Deloitte was you, you going into consulting Deloitte was doing your backup first. You could have this foundation to know that, okay, this is what corporate life would look like, uh, in your life philosophy of trying out all the different hats and, uh, trying to be the, the everything man. Uh, okay, well now you know what that's like, uh, and could potentially go back to it if you want. Uh, but I, I see that framing of if you had tried to been, if you had, if you had tried to be a magician first, um, which it sounds like is the, the <clears throat> excuse me uh which it sounds like is the thing that you knew that you wanted to do uh since before you knew how to read that's that's adorable <laughs> uh that uh if you failed at that financially uh or in in making it work for yourself uh then the switch back to a more normal job uh may have been much harder and then that that could have been more permanent uh, yes. does that sound right yes Cool. I love also the, the idea that your Deloitte coworkers, from their perspective, you, you like started magic just for fun at uh, at work, and then we're like, oh, I think I'll try doing this full time. Uh, that's <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, I, I would love I would love to hear the story from the perspective of like uh, a, a, someone, one of your coworkers uh, at Deloitte. Uh, that's so funny. Um, okay, cool. So uh, you're a magician. That's a very unusual career. Uh, I imagine in the process of doing this podcast, I'll be talking to a whole bunch of like doctors and uh, consultants and uh, lawyers and, and uh, professional successful people. Uh, you're a magician. I, I, you're, you're probably the only magician PS that I'll, uh, that I'll ever get to talk to. Uh, <laughs> what is that like? What, what is it like being a magician? Uh, do, uh, what, what's a typical day? Do you, do you have like a, a secret society you go to? Do you have like a, what, what does that look like? Well, there isn't one. There isn't a typical day. Um, you know, as, as I was alluding to earlier, it's one thing to call yourself a magician, and it's another thing to really figure out what that means. Um, I think, you know, people that don't maybe see a lot of magic shows or don't give much thought at all to the world of magic and magicians might just kind of lump them all together into one. But if you think about it, you know, it's sort of similar to calling yourself a musician. You know, there are there are musicians that are incredible, classically trained artists that practice 
10 hours of day and then perform chamber music and, you know, do, do concerts or they are studio musicians, you know, where their job is just to be able to sight read, get a, get sheet music and then create beautiful music for the recording artists that come into the studio. And then of course you have pop hip hop artists, you know, recording artists who maybe don't write their own music, maybe aren't as technically proficient, but have a look and a brand and a style, um, uh, sort of this uh, whole package tied up into one that allows them to create this platform that, um, you know, generates a lot of viewership, you know, that, you know, their, their music videos and their, you know, their, their look and their style of music is all kind of tied together. Um, and then, of course, you have, you know, uh, songwriters or uh, uh, composers. You know, there's a million people that fall under the category of, quote, unquote, musician. Uh, and the same mm -hmm. is true for magic. People just don't often necessarily think about that because there's not as many magicians in the world. And it's not something people consider as a mm -hmm. career as frequently. Um, so, you know, within the magic world, you know, there are plenty of magicians that make a living performing exclusively. Exclusive, sorry, <laughs> I'm struggling with the word. Uh, there are plenty of magicians that uh, perform exclusively for kids. You know, they perform at kids' birthday parties or uh, kindergarten centers or school assemblies. They do educational programs. And then you have um, magicians that are famous and on television, like David Blaine or Chris Angel or David Copperfield. You know, these magicians that have giant TV specials and are world famous and have resident shows in Las Vegas and of course, in Las Vegas, you've got magicians that are uh, headliners in Vegas. They have their own theaters, but no one has ever heard of them outside of um, the city. Um, you have people that make a full-time career street performing, you know, gathering crowds in the streets of New Orleans or Orlando or London or jo Johannesburg, uh, you know, performing close-up magic, drawing crowds, just getting money put in a hat, and they make six figures doing that, believe it or not. I mean, there, there's just so many different wow. ways to be a magician. Um, and there are even magicians that are, are what, what would you'd consider as magicians, magicians where they don't really perform for the public, but they, they create and design magic effects that they then sell for other magicians to use. Um, so anyway, a million different ways to maybe not a million, but uh, plenty of different, uh, types of magicians out there. And, and for me, um, you know, I've sort of found my own niche. I mean, I, I love, I've really found that I love performing on stage, um, performing magic for people at a party, you know, close up is, is really fun. And sometimes that's the strongest type of magic there is, but I really enjoy the energy of having a, a big audience and being able to maybe do more than just a magic trick for people, you know, engage people emotionally, tell a story, um, find ways to express myself and my own personality through my magic performances. Um, so for me, you know, I'm, I love designing my own material, coming up with new effects. So I would consider myself pretty much equal parts magic designer and magic performer. Um, and that's really what, what drives me uh, as a magician. I'm curious about, I, I think we'll probably have people who uh, know nothing about magic, uh, just <laughs> learned a lot about like the types of different, different magicians. Uh, to, to someone who like has only ever seen a magic show before and has seen uh, like the, the Netflix special that you helped on Magic for Humans, uh, I imagine that they like don't know what the process looks like 
uh of are, are you are you like performing wizardry are you uh lighting candles and uh and doing a seance what's the how how are you developing uh a trick uh what does what does that process look like you said that you love uh performing on stage and and having the energy of the audience are you just like practicing does does your life look like a like a, a dancer or an actor uh you're just kind of going through different motions uh or or is it something very different that was the original question, wasn't it? What does my day look like? And I went off on some crazy tangent. So yes, to answer we, you, we thank you. We learned a lot me. about uh, all the different kinds of magicians that aren't <laughs> you. Yes. So let me let me kind of steer that that statement. So yes, there's so many different types of magicians, so many different ways to perform and you know create a career in magic. There isn't an obvious typical day. It was the conclusion there. Um, for me, uh, because my focus is performing on stage and uh, traveling with shows. I'm, there are a few different ways that my days might look. One is I might be traveling. Uh, I get paid usually to get on a plane, fly to a hotel room, or fly to a, fly to a city, get a hotel, perform my show the next day, and then fly home. Other times I am you know, getting on several planes so that I can arrive at a small island in the Caribbean and then join a cruise ship and then be on a cruise ship for a few days. So uh, there's a lot of travel involved for um, you know, the types of shows I, I enjoy doing. Um, other days I am, I've got shows that night. So I am backstage in a dark theater assembling all my props, taking them out of my suitcases and, and you know, putting tables and chairs together and, and making sure everything's working, doing some rehearsal if I have time before uh, I do a tech rehearsal with the stage crew before the shows that night. Um, other days I might be home and uh, just catching up on the boring administrative side of running a show business. You know, there's an old adage in um, the you know, performers say, you know, that there's a reason the word business is longer than the word show, because a lot of our time and success is attributed to our ability to manage the business side of our performing career. So I spend a lot of time, you know, managing finances and figuring out, um, uh, you know, uh, who good clients might be, you know, corporate clients I might want to get in touch with that I think wouldn't particularly benefit from having my, uh, my performances or my ability to weave in their corporate message into their, um, into their conferences or trade shows, you know, so there's a lot of ad administrative stuff. Um, other days I'm in creative mode where I'm designing new magic effects and prototyping ideas or, you know, maybe taking a new idea to an open mic in LA where I can try out a new routine and see if it works. Um, so mm -hmm. that's sort of something I love about magic is that for me, at least there's, there is no typical day. Um, some days I'm traveling, some days I'm prototyping and rehearsing other days I'm doing admin homework kind of tasks. Um, there's no constant, there's no real pattern or consistency. And I thrive on that. I love that I'm never going to get bored. There's always something new to work on. Um, and no day really looks the same. Mm. It's interesting the way you're describing this. It sounds like how I imagine the life of a professional comedian would look like where you're uh, traveling a lot and booking shows and uh, okay, the client is this corporate client. How can I uh, take my show and uh, personalize it for that client? Would you say that that's accurate? Yes, but with more, a little bit more um, engineering and nerdiness <laughs> thrown in 
we also generally Talk dress more better. About that. I will say that. <laughs> oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> the 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 top hat and the tails. Oh, wonderful. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I, I try and avoid the top hat and the tails, but I uh, I do like to think that I uh, I look a little bit more put together than the average comic. I think you know there's, there's a lot of parallels between comedians and magicians because um, in some ways we are you know very usually solo performers. Um, making a career out of, you know, material that we develop ourselves. You know, there's, there's a lot of similarities there. But um, I, I think a lot of comics uh, take pride in how little effort they put into their appearance or their set. You know, they'll if you sit around with a bunch of comedians, you know, they'll kind of be bragging about, you know, oh, I just got out of bed and uh, had this brilliant idea. And then I went on stage and tried it and it killed, you know, whereas magicians will get around and uh, brag about, how much effort they put into something that the audience will never know about. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's just how those crafts different, you know, magicians work really hard to make it look like we've, if, if we do our job, right, it looks like we've done nothing and magic just Mm. happened. I love it. Talk to me more about that engineering side. Uh, because you're the, the tricks that you're doing are not just things that you can buy off the shelf at a magic store or from Amazon or something. Uh, I've seen your process. I've like helped you with some of these and it's, it's insane. Uh, it's, it's like a very, uh, I love engineering. Yeah. It's, it's an engineering process of, uh, of building something. Uh, talk, talk a little bit more about that. What, what does your creative process look like? What, what does it look like when you're working in uh, creative mode from like, uh, when when you have the idea for a trick, uh, do you start with the idea? Do you start with like, oh, here's a here's a fun thing that people don't know about? Uh, what does your process look like there? The most interesting work, I think, comes from starting with the impossible idea first. Um, I think that's true for a lot of uh, magic, uh, you know, magic as well. Is that um, you if you if you create something by seeing a cool widget that does a cool thing and think oh i bet i cr- could create a piece of magic or a, you know a cool illusion out of that the mm-hmm. i think you're doing it backwards because you are finding some cool principle to capitalize on and then trying to turn it into something that's engaging and um, entertaining for the audience i think and it doesn't necessarily line up with what people would actually want a magician to perform. You know, I, I think um, the strongest magic comes from when the magician has this crazy idea. Like, what if if I was a real magician in 2020, what would I be able to do? Well, what if I could pick something I want to buy and then the package arrives instantly? Like, that would be crazy. What if you just like dreamed of what you want to buy and then you click a button and the package appears in your home? That would be great. So then you start working backwards from that. Like, okay, how can I, how can I create that illusion on stage? You know, so I start thinking, okay, so what do I need to do? Well, I need to gather, um, I need to ask someone in the audience to think of an item and then the package needs to arrive, you know, hmm, how can I make it appear? Well, other magicians, you know, they've, they might make a, um, maybe a, a, like a bird cage appear with a dove in it. How do they make that bird cage appear? Well, maybe I could use that same principle of how they make the bird cage appear or pull the rabbit out of a hat, but instead, maybe it could be an Amazon box. Okay, that's mm-hmm. interesting. So, you know, what sort of shape like a cardboard box, like, a, like an Amazon box that I could take the principle of how that other object is traditionally used to 
you know, appear on stage and maybe rejig it to allow me to make an Amazon box appear. Um, oh, it would be even even better if the box just fell out of the sky. Like that'd be that'd be amazing. What if the box just fell from the heavens and and landed <laughs> in my hands? That would be great. Um, and uh, okay, but I'm gonna need to get someone to suggest what they want to order from from the audience because if I do it myself, then they're just gonna think that I you know, chose the exact item that was in the box. That's not going to be magical. Oh, but then they're going to think someone's in on it. So I better maybe do this randomly. Maybe I need to pick volunteers randomly by throwing, uh, throwing a stuffed animal out into the audience and have it tossed around a few times so that there's no chance that I've, you know, been able to pre-select who decides what gets ordered, you know, so you just, this is the sort of mental process you go through and then you think, okay, well, how am I going to, um, how am I going to make sure that I can have the exact object that someone's names? Well, I wonder, you know, could I have tons of boxes, you know, up in the ceiling? Well, that would be silly, you know, or, or maybe there's some way that I could um, guide someone to pick exactly the object that I want. You know, you just start thinking, you're brainstorming, and you're thinking about all these other principles that you've seen in other magicians' performances or in magic books when you're a kid, and you start compiling these different methods together and layering on them on top of each other in hopes that the more and more you layer, the more and more you hide the method from the audience so mm -hmm. that the end result is this moment of astonishment where the audience's brains just kind of break because they every possible solution that they might come up with with how this Amazon order instantly arrived is disqualified by some other aspect of the the performance. Um, so it's it's sort of a work backwards approach of like, what would be an incredible magic piece of magic? It's only worth doing if it's impossible because that's my job is to do impossible things. <laughs> um, the secret is that I can cheat because the audience <laughs> is paying a ticket and has given me a unspoken, have they given me unspoken permission to use my skill set as a magician on stage, meaning lying, cheating, use of psychology, deception, misdirection, um, storytelling. Mm. I can use all those tools in my toolbox, visual optics, you know, the way, you know, what angles people are viewing things from. I can use all those tools in my tool set to create this impossibility on stage. Um, mm. And, uh, that is that's sort of the creative process of like how can I best use my skill set to make this impossible thing happen, and then a whole lot of that's trial so and error. The the way you're describing that process, it does sound like uh, engineering. You're you're doing an engineering project uh, in the the software development projects that I do. I follow a very similar process. Uh, mm. Sometimes I go off and and learn about technologies and like, ooh, how could I use this? But that's just for fun and like to learn the skill. Uh, but building useful things, building things that that I ship, uh, I start with the results. I start with sketches and think, okay, well, what's what's the result that I want? What's the end thing? Uh, and then go from there to try to uh, iron out the details and try to uh, figure out how I'm going to do that. Uh, and it sounds like you're following a, a very similar process for magic. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what's interesting to me is that the same skills I use for entertainment on stage or on a TV show are in some ways the exact same skills that politicians will use to <laughs> guide their voters to believe a certain thing. I mean, you know, there are times, or uh, pickpockets will use to steal a guy's wallet on the metro. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. there's, there's these elements because, you know, at, at the end of the day as a magician, my job is to uh, direct attention and get people to have their brains tell them a certain story about what's taking place. And 
that skill set can be used for <laughs> both good and evil, and in many other capacities <laughs> outside of um, outside of magic. I mean, a good a good um, uh, theater director knows how to pull people's attention so that people understand the story that's taking place. You know, making the decision of well, does the when the actor comes in the door, do the other actors make do we make sure the other actors are further upstage so that the person that has the more, more important line gets the visual focus you know or in a movie mm-hmm. director deciding you know we're going to do a uh, um, we're going to do a close up here and make sure the focus is on this particular person in the room so that we see their face facial expression um, when someone else says a, a critical line you know the there's a lot of different skill sets that magicians use that many different people use in different capacities. We're just using it for the, the end product for me is that moment of astonishment. Um, whereas the end product for someone else might be, you know, being emotionally affected or uh, uh, appreciating how beautiful some piece of software is to use, you know, there's yeah, a lot of different products that we can create with the same skill set. Lord help us if you ever move back into consulting with this honed skill set of psychology or get into politics or <laughs> knowing how to how to to deceive people, knowing uh knowing how that psychology works and, and how you can create that narrative. Uh, well, I hereby a... promise to only use my powers for good. Oh, well, okay, we're fine then. I guess nothing's in here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> switching gears, uh, something that I think is just fascinating about you uh, that was changed recently with uh, COVID-19. We're recording this in uh, early April, so probably at the at the beginning of this uh, COVID-19 thing, is that you work on cruise ships. Uh, cruise ships uh, <laughs> are so cool, and it, it seems like a dream job to uh, get paid to travel the world on a cruise ship all your food is paid for uh, as a performer. I imagine like you get all the same amenities that guests do. Uh, and also you get paid on top of that. Is that a dream job? Is that just amazing? What what has your experience been like on cruise ships? Yes, absolutely. It is a dream job. There are very few careers where you can get paid to uh, uh, work two days a week and get paid uh, to enjoy the amenities of a cruise ship it, it from on paper it sounds like a dream job and too good to be true um and i'm very grateful to uh spend a significant part of my year um on different cruise ships you know i, I don't spend my whole life performing on cruise ships i really enjoy performing for other audiences on land as well um but i do enjoy performing on cruises as well i mean the um the th- there are some downsides the way i kind of describe it to people is that performing on cruise ships uh, when you're when you're working on a cruise ship, there are snapshots that absolutely line up with what other people think your job is. Like there are <laughs> moments where you're sitting on the top deck, looking out over the port of Hong Kong, um, thinking, "Man, this is amazing that I'm getting paid to be here." Um, or the moments where, you know, you're on stage and you're getting, you know, if you're lucky enough, the audience gives you an amazing standing ovation and you're, you're, you're this one guy on stage getting all this incredible feedback from an audience for all your hard work. And, um, that feels great. Um, but then there are the moments that people don't see, which is you're in a cabin trying to get internet. And you're in the middle of the Pacific and it's not cooperating. And all you want to do is talk to your girlfriend or your family or, 
you know, transfer um, some files from one folder to the other and you can't because Dropbox isn't working because the internet is down <laughs> or uh, you, uh, you miss friends and family's weddings because you're away. Uh, mm. A family member gets sick and you're not around. Um, uh, your luggage doesn't arrive and you have to perform a show out of using only the contents of your carry-on suitcase. Uh, <laughs> you, you, oh, arrive, no. you, you arrive the day of uh, to board the cruise ship and then find out that in two hours they've had to shuffle the schedule around and now they need you to do a show on stage in front of 2,000 people after having not slept uh, because you took a red eye and got delayed oh in gosh. Panama. Like, you know, <laughs> those are the snapshots too that people don't see. Um, so yes, it is It is a wonderful, amazing thing. And uh, the worst things that happen when you're working on a cruise ship uh, are still what I could define as first world problems. Um, hmm. But uh, there are pl there's plenty of drudgery and, and uh, challenges in between the really glamorous moments. Okay, that's fair. It is as good uh, as people think it is. And also, uh, there are challenges. Uh, man, I can't imagine having to perform like an impromptu show with only your carry-on. That that sounds ridiculous. What, what did you do? <laughs> well, I mean, if I wasn't prepared, I'd probably just be sticking underwear on my head and running around with socks on my hands or something. Just, <laughs> doing silly dance. Um, fortunately, I, I plan for these sort of things. I mean, you know, the... I've noticed that the the more I work as a performer, both on ships and in general, is uh, I become more and more unflappable. You know, because I've encountered these problems mm. before. Uh, you know, I the first time I lost my the first time my airline lost my luggage and I had to perform uh, an impromptu show. I was scrambling. I was running up to the mm. office of the cruise director and borrowing paper and pens and you know drawing out different symbols that I could use for some mentalist prediction magic trick. And then just, you know, thinking about, Oh wait, I used to do this thing with rubber bands. I wonder if anyone has rubber bands and maybe we can get a camera guy to magnify my hands onto a big screen behind me. Like you, you know, you, you scramble. And then once that's happened, you think, okay, let me reevaluate here. If this happens again, what am I going to do differently? And now mm -hmm. I make sure that as much of my show as possible is in my carry on suitcase and Clothes, they go in my check bags because I can always buy new clothes in port. I can't <laughs> buy new props that I've designed myself um, mm -hmm. if they don't arrive. So I make a point to have at least 45 minutes of material in my carry-on suitcase so that in the event, and, and also I pack my costume in my carry-on suitcase. So, you know, mm -hmm. if, God forbid, I arrive, uh, I arrive on the day that I need to perform a show that night and my luggage hasn't arrived, I... I have a show. It's not the show I was hoping on doing, hoping to do, but it is a show that I know will um, not embarrass me in front of, you know, thousands of people on a ship. That's amazing. What what confidence as a performer to have a, a single carry-on suitcase that you know can uh, entertain thousands of people for forty-five minutes. I think uh, stage fright or, or public speaking is supposed to be the the number one fear, uh, and number two is dying. So to <laughs> yes. to be able yeah. to have that power of like you are so comfortable in that environment uh, that you with with a, a handful of things and rubber bands and uh, some cards with some symbols drawn on them. Uh, that you can be confident and entertain thousands of people for that long is amazing. That's what what an incredible skill. 
well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly can't really attribute it to, um, you know, any, any, I don't know, inherent talent on my part. It's just, you kind of figure it out. You know, this, these are skill sets you build over time and you, you know, you gain confidence in, I mean, I, you know, going back to comedians, I know I was giving comedians flack, but I always, I frequently dream of being a comedian because I wouldn't ever have to worry about losing my luggage. The show's <laughs> in my head. Um, I could, you know, I wouldn't have to slug three check bags through multiple airports um, to do a set. You know, I, I watch comics walk on with nothing but a handheld mic and they could entertain an audience for over an hour um, with no props whatsoever. Uh, and um, I, I admire that greatly. It, it also shows that the, the things in your hand, the props you're holding, they're merely tools at the end of the day, the audience just wants to feel something and have a personal connection with the performer. Um, and magic tricks are my way of doing that. But, you know, as a theater major, I learned that my own humanity will always be more captivating than any skill I'm displaying. And, mm. um, you know, that's that's something that I think I see in, in a lot of performers you know I, I see one of the benefits of performing on cruise ships is that there's a show every night and different performers you get to watch as an entertainer i can go watch a singer one night a stand-up comic the next a ventriloquist the night after my show and i learn so much from watching other performers and the performers that get consistent standing ovations and are uh, the, the most positive reaction from guests aren't necessarily the most talented or the ones with the shiniest toys on stage they're the ones that people feel like they have gotten to know personally over the course of the show and really care about sharing their heart with the audience. I love that. I've had an analogous realization with software that mm. it's not about the language. It's not about the what framework you use to build your thing. Uh, like you said, it's about the humanity. It's about the people. It's about, uh, did you build a thing that can help a person? Uh, or did you just build a thing? Are you are you all caught up in the shiny technology? And uh, yes. did you forget about the people who you're helping? Uh, I love that. Oh, this is so interesting. <laughs> uh, magic is, is uh, so, the, the practice of magic feels like it's, uh, so analogous to, to so many other things. Uh, I'm seeing the, the every man in you, the, uh, the, your, your, I see the, the philosophy applied to the, the discipline of magic. Um, in the middle of, uh, this COVID stuff, everyone is going through all of these huge life changes. What does that look like for you? I imagine the, uh, the, the cruise ships have been put on hold, uh, and a lot of the, uh, part of your life that was traveling, uh, has been put on hold. Uh, what does that look like? What are, what are you thinking about? What's, uh, are, what, what sorts of life changes are you looking at? Yeah, well, it's certainly been an adjustment. I mean, everything has been put on hold. Um, most of my bookings through end of May have been canceled. I had a really full mm -hmm. performing calendar for April and May was shaping up nicely as well. And, um, most of those bookings are on hold. Um, but that said, I, you know, when, because I travel so much, you know, because I'm on a plane, I mean, generally, uh, I'm on a plane at least once a week. I, when I'm home, I'm a bit of a homebody. I mean, I will, I, I might go out and spend some time with friends here and there, but it's not like I am dropping back into a, a, a typical weekly schedule where I have, um, bowling night on Wednesday with my 
<laughs> frat brothers and then a uh, <laughs> small group on Thursday night with church. And, that, you know, like, it's not like I have this sort of uh, ingrained weekly schedule with my life on land because I, you know, my travel schedule doesn't allow it. So in some ways, I think I've had a little bit of an easier time because I'm used to when I'm home, I'm home and just kind of working on my own projects and catching up on creative and, um, you know, business uh, tasks that I've decided are important. Um, and I'm, I've also, I'm very comfortable, you know, most of my life I am traveling by myself. You know, I travel to uh, new places and perform for audiences, but I'm, I'm on my own a lot of the time. And I, I enjoy that. I'm, you know, sort of a closet introvert is how I describe myself. Um, hmm. I'm very comfortable just kind of working alone. So the uh, uh, being sequestered hasn't affected me as much as I think a lot of other people that had a real strong um, social schedule weekly, you know, at home. And now their work life is, you know, now at home and they can't go out, you know, for their weekly trivia night on Friday night that they do with a bunch of friends. You know, their whole schedule is kind of turned on its head. Um, and I'm kind of grateful that that isn't the case for me. Um, I also have, for the past few months, been so looking forward to taking some time off. I actually was planning on, I took the month of February off from a lot of traveling shows just to take care of a lot of uh, business and creative projects that have been on my list forever. And I just decided, finally decided I needed to take time off to do them. Otherwise, it wasn't ever going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. And when the month of February was up, I just couldn't wait to figure out when I was going to take another month off because I there was so much more for me to work on. And I kind of <laughs> got to the point where I realized uh, if I don't make working on new material and taking upgrading my systems in my business, make that a priority, then I'm just going to be spinning like a, a rat in a wheel, you know, and not actually investing and reinvesting in my material. And I'm going to kind of get burned out. Um, I, I want to apologize to the world that my desire to have more time at home may have unintentionally resulted in the universe granting it to me in a much larger scale than I anticipated. <laughs> um, I, I'm sorry. I, I got more than I bargained for. I mean, it's a day, you know, they say, be careful what you wish for. And I, I may have overdone it even for me. Uh, trick. I, this uh, is your biggest trick yet. <laughs> what, what kind of scheme have you pulled? <laughs> no, what have I done? Um, so uh, yeah, I have been blessed with more time than I could possibly want. And uh, I am a little scared along with everybody, you know, of like, uh, you know, how long is this going to last and how much is going, this going to affect my business? But, um, you know, I, I think I'm still more than ever just sort of appreciating that, I mean, if there's anything that I've learned from my meditation practice and, you know, listening to people smarter than me is that change is inevitable. And all that really matters is how we respond to it, not so much, you know, the, the change itself. And hmm. there are, you know, two ways that you can react to these sort of um, crises. There's the sort of who moved my cheese approach of like my life has been turned upside down and it's your fault. Uh, you COVID, you invisible enemy, you. Um, or you can say, oh, well, this is interesting. This is going to change things. It lets, this is an opportunity to reevaluate everything. Um, let's dive in and, and figure out um, you know, how this is going to change. Now, granted, I have to say I don't mean to be flippant because I, I am in, 
perhaps like yourself feel incredibly privileged. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm, I'm young and healthy. I don't show symptoms of yet of this disease. And if I was to get it, I am likely to recover um, just fine. Uh, and I know that's not true for a lot of people. Um, and I know a lot of people have lost jobs and employment and now are just struggling to survive. And um, I, I am very grateful to not be in that circumstance, but am feeling the sort of the obligation to be a good steward of this time. You know, I think it's very easy just to let every day blur into one and to lose purpose. And I want to make sure that everything I'm spending my time on um, during this unscheduled, unpaid sabbatical uh, is leading towards my ability to share my work with the world and make a larger impact than I was before. That's a very balanced and uh, optimistic answer that's uh fantastic yeah taking taking time to uh focus on yourself of uh extending the sabbatical uh making the most of it i love i love that you're you're like naturally introverted so this is you're you're not missing going to bowling uh in a a very similar boat uh i mean granted i love to go bowling here and there every night but i'm not missing like the weekly uh yeah oh who doesn't (laughs) um the uh so you you mentioned that you're doing this extended sabbatical, what sorts of things are you focused on uh, for this time? What, what, in what ways are you working on uh, changing your life? What, how would you like your life to be different? Wow. Yeah, that's a big question. Um, a lot of my friends, colleagues, you know, entertainers, content creators, artists, I see are creating a lot of work online for people that are, you know, quarantined and, you know, sharing a lot of live streamed shows. And I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, and I'm absolutely considering doing some more virtual performances. But um, I sort of made a pact with myself that, you know, if I, all I wanted was time off to kind of hide away and not perform for a little while and take care of some overdue business projects and creative projects. And I've tried to stay commit, you know, stay committed to that. Um, so, uh, I recently finished creating a digital database of my, uh, prop inventory. Um, so every, all my building (laughs) supplies and props, everything that I use to create new magic and, you know, prototype new ideas. I've now cataloged in this giant cloud database with, uh, QR codes on boxes so I can find out what's inside each box and find anything quickly. You know, if I all of a sudden need glue sticks, I no longer have to turn the apartment upside down saying, where did I put my darn glue sticks? Now I can just search for them and figure out what box and what position they're in on this giant shelf. So that's great and incredibly satisfying for a type A uh, hyper-organized person like myself. Um, Love it. uh, I've also just been upgrading my finance software um, that I use for tracking expenses um, because I want to make sure that I'm, you know, being responsible with my money, especially in a time in which my business is, is in a transition stage, and make sure that I'm not uh, losing funds just because I'm not tracking them. Um, so that's sort of where I've put my time. Um, I'm now sort of over that hump. I've done my taxes. I've taken care of the uh, the those big boring necessary things and now i'm really looking forward to getting back into working more on new material maybe doing some social media more social media videos um 
developing new material for my stage show. Um, and also considering, you know, maybe this is the time where I start considering how do I productize more of my business? You know, how do I create things that people um, can buy from me without requiring me to show up at a place at a specific time? You know, I am mm, my own product. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And it's also a curse because um, if I don't, get on a plane and arrive at the show, then I'm not getting paid. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the wonderful side of that is that I get to get this incredible positive feedback. I get to see the effect that my work has on others because I'm always present. Um, and I really enjoy that about being a performer. Um, but it comes at a cost. So yeah, so this is, a, this is a time in which I'm sort of using to take care of a lot of stuff that I've wanted to work on for a while, um, work on material for my live shows when I start performing them again. And also think larger about, uh, you know, what long-term, what other streams of income are there? Um, in addition to just to supporting my, you know, current clients and people that hire me, you know, working with them to figure out what their employees need and how I as a, you know, as a, an ambassador of fun uh, and uh, a presenter of content, how can I help them with their goals, you know, even virtually? Um, there's plenty to do. I love the ambassador of fun. Uh, I'd like to go back to the first thing you said. You made a prop inventory so that you could keep track of things like double stick tape. Uh, now, I have seen <laughs> uh, your number of props. For the, for the listeners who may not have been uh, in your apartment, could you quantify approximately uh, how <laughs> many props you have that you would need an inventory to keep track of them? Oh, God. Well, certainly in the hundreds. I mean, I, I have a lot of building materials as well. Uh, you know, every, just everything that I might use to to build a prop, uh, you know, accessories like decks of cards and um, um, balloons and uh, 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 well, all kinds of things, you know, magic props that I used to perform with when I was younger, as well as all my repertoire of my, you know, materials in my show. I, yeah, I mean, rope, uh, spools of rope that I use in my show. Um, I, I have over a thousand records. I mean, probably at this point, probably 2000 individual items that I've categorized, but, um, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a lot. And, uh, not every magician is, is, uh, prop heavy as me but i just happen to really enjoy visual really strong visual magic so i know i have friends who you know they uh they are real artists and crafts uh well artists and um technicians when it comes to a deck of cards and they make a living pretty much performing card magic and it's beautiful and just as entertaining as as what i do i um just happen to really like the big visual stuff so as a result i've got to have a lot have a lot of uh, raw materials to to bring my ideas to life this, I think, is one of the most magical parts of your life. Is that walking into your apartment? It's like work. It's like walking into like a like a prop set design place of <laughs> one of the walls. You're you just moved to your uh, your new apartment in L.A. Uh, yes. and beautiful apartment. There's like windows and uh, on one of the walls. Uh, and on the other wall, like floor to ceiling, I think it's probably 15 foot ceilings, and like. 20 feet across stacked to the ceiling and out like <laughs> three feet is just stuff. And they're all boxes and some of them are transparent. You can see inside of them. <laughs> There's like rubber chickens and fake hands. And you, you, uh, you didn't, you didn't do this justice. There's, it's amazing. You're, <laughs> oh my gosh. Being in your apartment, you can play this game. If, if uh, anyone listening has the, the absolute uh, pleasure to, to be invited into the, the secret sanctum uh, of Triggs, 
uh, magic workshop, you can name what feels like any object. If you just say like, oh, uh, do you have a, uh, a slinky? Trig reaches over. He knows exactly where it is. He reaches over into the perfect bin, pulls out a slinky. And you can do that with anything. It's it's incredible. It's perfectly organized. And then uh, I, I think you're right that this serves your creative process incredibly well. Because, yes, if you were a, a deck of card magician, um, you just need a deck of cards. And that's that's all you need. Uh, but your process of being the, the engineer, uh, you need a lot of stuff. You need a lot of things to be able to put together these very complicated illusions to be able to to fulfill the script of uh, the the uh, end result dream that you have of, I'd like to be able to order an Amazon package and it it drops from the ceiling. Uh, that's that's the sort of thing that uh, it you need stuff to be able to prototype. So I totally see the value of it. Uh, it's it's amazing. You you have a, a very cool uh, work environment. Uh, we're running out of time. We we just have a, a few more questions left. Uh, so as quickly as you can, why magic? Why, what, what is it about magic, uh, that, that excites you? That's interesting to you. That's also a good question. Um, I love that magic kind of reminds us that we don't have everything figured out. I prefer to perform magic for adults as opposed to kids because as adults we sort of forget what it feels like to be have the feeling of wonder hmm. and seeing things that make us ask questions you know the more we live the longer we live the more we kind of understand how everything works and our capacity for curiosity seems to decrease unless you really fight to keep it alive um hmm. I like that magic uh, creates moments in which people, you can see it very physically in their face. Their, their face opens up, their, their mouth drops, their, their eyebrows raise, and you just see them saying, wow, like that, if, if that's possible, then what else is? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I love that it gives people an escape, you know, and, and, uh, gives people an opportunity to experience things that they thought couldn't be done. Um, I think it's a, it's an important and very uh, significant feeling to be able to give people the opportunity to be astonished and to wonder how something happened. Um, uh, especially now that we have a, a phone with an internet connection and we can pretty much mm. find the answer to anything that we want to anything we want answered, any question we want to ask, we can pretty much instantly know how something works or, uh, you know, an interesting fact and um, uh, magic. I, I like to think creates a bit of a barrier there because if I do my job, you can't Google it. Like you're just gonna have to have that little uncomfortable. At first, it'll be uncomfortable. You just have to sit in that discomfort of just not knowing and and wondering about how on earth that just happened. Um, and if I can make people laugh and smile along the way, uh, then that's just a bonus. You're the last bastion of wonder in this world. I love it. That's so cool. You're you're making me want to be a magician. Trig. Uh, we talked a little bit about this, but what advice would you have given to yourself in college? You mentioned that uh, trying to be the everything man took a toll after a while. Is there anything that you wish you had done differently or, or maybe advice that we, you would have given to your younger self at SMU uh, that would have gotten you to where you are faster? 
are, are you glad that you did? Did you take the the path that you wanted to take, uh, or are there is there pain that you could have saved yourself if you just could have had like a, a five minute conversation with uh, SMU Trig? <laughs> well, if I'd had a five com- five minute conversation with SMU Trig, I'm not sure SMU Trig would have listened. Um, <laughs> but I think it it took me a long time to really just be comfortable with the idea that the way that I'm going to be the most value to the world and be able to do the best work is going to be focusing on the stuff that really brings me joy and just Mm -hmm. trusting that what brings me joy is also what will bring good to the world. And uh, I think the reason I was doing everything was just out of fear that what excited me wasn't enough, that I had to spend my time doing a lot of other things that I also happen to be good at because I could do them because they were also within my skill set. And um, I, I uh, so that would be my suggestion that if, if anyone is doing things just to look good or to please their parents or to, um, you know, purely for the grade itself, um, or to, you know, get a job just so you make a bunch of money, really think about, okay, what's, what's brings me the most fulfillment and, and throw yourself into that and trust that what brings you the most joy will is also what you should focus on. And, and don't be afraid to narrow down your options a little bit to open up the things that, and provide more depth to the things that really do, um, fulfill you. Mm, I can see why SMU Trig may not have uh, taken the second part of that advice. To, to <laughs> <it down. laughs> no, you you have to I love that though. Focus on focus on what brings you joy. Uh, that that sounds like solid advice. I have a question uh, from a listener of this podcast, which is unusual because uh, we haven't even had an episode yet. Uh, but this this question comes from uh, Jessica uh, Svilik, who is a 2009 PS alum. Jessica would like to know from you: How did your PS experience contribute to your to your success? Wow. Well, there is something to be said to not graduate with student debt. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> um, I am not sure that I would have felt being being a very a relatively uh, cautious, in some ways risk averse person. I'm not sure I would have had the same amount of confidence to quit my job in business consulting when I did to pursue a career in performing and mm. being self-employed. Not having student debt removed a certain amount of fear of failure because I knew that, well, the worst thing to happen is that I struggle for a few months and then freak out and go back and get my job back like or mm. a similar job back, you know, like, um, that's not a freedom that everyone has. You know, when you're swamped in crippling thousands of dollars debt, um, I think your your ability to think about what you know fulfills you creatively um, or brings you the most joy is constrained a little bit. Um, uh, and for risk averse people, that might be a that might be a barrier. So that's that's what I'm grateful for. I, I mean, that's that's a very um, you know, I realize obvious, very numbers driven uh, answer, but it's a very real thing that made a big difference. I think, you know, that I got this incredible mm-hmm. education um, without having to pay for it for decades to come. Um, mm-hmm. 
uh, more interpersonally, the the closest friendships that I have, um, with a couple exceptions, uh, now today have come out of my SMU network. You know, getting to bond with creative, intelligent people in many different spheres, like yourself, Christian. I mean, I'm grateful to have you as a friend, and you know, oh, uh, I'm grateful the, to have you um, as a friend. Oh well, look at us. Um, <laughs> uh, we, uh, you know, I, I'm. I got to bond with people that have the same enthusiasm and passion for learning things, but aren't necessarily working or passionate about the same things. And that was wonderful because I have friends who are incredible actors, writers, engineers, uh, business people, uh, software developers, and we all get to bond over our joy of learning um, and learn from each other because we're not doing the same thing day to day. And I think a lot of people go straight from, you know, a, uh, you know, college experience where maybe they're all studying the same thing. And then most of their friends are uh, closest friends come out of the people they work with who are all working on the same in the same field. And the SMU President Scholar Network sort of opens, sort of cracked open that, um, that shell so that I could, you know, enjoy having close friendships with people of all different disciplines. Love it. Passions. Oh my gosh, Trig. Did you hear that sound? No. Pretend you heard the sound. I'm adding it in post. Yes. What was that sound? <laughs> Do you know what that means? I, I can't wait to find out. That's right. It's time for Are You Smarter Than a 16th Grader? It's the part of the yes. show where I ask you a question that SMU professors think a senior PS with your areas of study should be able to answer. Dr. Uh -oh. Jacqueline Thomas of the SMU Cox Department asks, should a company fire customers? Why or why not? Explain which circumstances would warrant this decision. Fire here means refuse to stop uh, refuse or stop serving them. Yes, I think companies should. And here's why. It comes down to kind of like I was saying before, my advice to, you know, uh, maybe current underclassmen that we should be focusing on what brings us the most joy in our life. And I think businesses as well should operate the same way. You'd create a business, you know, you run a company because you believe in their mission, or I hope that you would be, you know, in a position of leadership. Uh, if you have the capacity to fire employees, then you'd also be working for the company because you believe in the products they sell. Um, and if you've got customers that um, keep you from doing what you do best because they want a certain type of service from you, or they want you to change your products to fit their needs, then... Um, you might start serving uh, such a wide group of people that you don't, you actually lose touch with your original mission. So um, if your goal is to be the, um, you know, the best manufacturer of footwear and someone complains about uh, how the socks, how, how your sh shoes make their socks uh, stick to their shoes, then your job may not be to, you know, give them socks to wear with their shoes. This is a stupid example, but um, all that to say, um, yeah, make sure that if you're in touch with your, your company's mission, then you should also be in touch with what sort of customers you want to attract. And uh, you, in this day and age with Twitter and the ability for everyone to have a voice, I wouldn't recommend overtly firing your customers and using that terminology, but don't be afraid to receive criticism from people that aren't your core customers and just keep serving the customers uh, who do appreciate your products for the reasons that line up with your mission and those other customers that you quote unquote uh, wish to fire will probably just disappear on their own. 
Is that your final answer? Yes. Let's see what Dr. Thomas has to say. Correct. This this is where I'm going to insert <laughs> if you got it correct or not, because that sounded like a great answer to me. Uh, Trig, thank you so much for being on the very first episode of BS Love. Uh, how can people follow your work online? Uh, or, you know, when this COVID-19 thing uh, is uh, comes to a resolution, uh, how could people see a live performance? I mean, I guess the most uh, effective way to follow me would be to literally just follow me. If you just want to move to LA, I'll tell you where I live. And, you know, that'll be the best show is just to, you know, I don't mind having a, a trail of people. Um, as, if you want to as do someone it who has done that, I, I agree entirely. <laughs> it's one of, the, one of the most fun experiences I ever had was going on a cruise <laughs> with you. Uh, oh my gosh, it was amazing. You get to see all the other parts of the show and uh, all the other parts of the ship. And uh, there's like a purpose to being on the ship. I, I got to like fix magic props. Oh, it was so much fun. And I was grateful to have your company and expertise for sure. Um, but yeah, no, if you want to follow me uh, digitally in a socially distanced fashion, then you can uh, shoot me an email if you have a question or want to reach out or have a, you know, if there's any way I can help you, I'd love to hear from you at my email trig, that's T-R-I-G-G at trigmagic.com. Uh, you can also go to my website, trigmagic.com and follow me on all the social media, the TikTok, the Instagram, the Facebook, the uh, MySpace, the Twitter, the Snapchat at Trig Watson, T-R-I-G-G-W-A-T-S-O-N. Um, I'm more or less active on a variety of those platforms. Wonderful. Is there a way that people can see performances that you've done? Is there, are, are you doing any sort of live performance uh, virtually in the, the COVID-19 uh, Possibly, space. if you uh, yeah follow me on those platforms, and you may or may not see some more um, video content coming from me soon, or live stream content. No promises. Um, if you are in Dallas or around Dallas, I still, even though I live in LA, I'm still um, performing when uh, not being crippled by a global pandemic. Performing my monthly show at Checkered Past Winery. The show is called Wine and Magic. Uh, the more wine you drink, the better the magic gets. <laughs> and you can find out more about that show at wineandmagicdallas.com. Um, uh, I do do a variety of performances on college campuses um, throughout the country, as well as corporate events. If you happen to be uh, an employee or the owner of a company that has conferences or looking for ways to engage your employees in a fun and memorable way, then I'd hope you'd think of me. Um, reach out. We'll talk. Um, and if you really just want to see me perform, uh, then you might have to book a cruise if you're not in Dallas. <laughs> and I, uh, I, if you shoot me an email, I'll let you know what, uh, what cruise ships I'm performing on when the cruise industry comes back from the dead. Um, and I, you know, depending on where you live, I may or may not have an appearance in your city at a comedy club or a college campus that you could attend. Wonderful. Trig, thank you so much once again. And hey, P.S. Love. Now you say PS Love back. PS Love back. <laughs> Goodbye. Hold on.